Hello, hello, everyone. This is Volts for November 9th, 2022. What's going on in Germany? I'm your host, David Roberts. Earlier this year, I spent some time in Germany riding scooters around Berlin and Hamburg. From that vantage point, everything seems delightful. But from a broader point of view, the country is struggling. The Ukraine war has seen Germany's supply of methane gas from Russia cut off. Energy prices have spiked as Germany scrambles to make up the deficit. Some people have taken this to mean that Germany was wrong to move away from fossil fuels as quickly as it has. Others have said it shows that Germany needs to double down on its transition to renewables. To get a better sense of Germany's current situation and what it says about the choices the country has made on energy, I contacted Professor Claudia Kimfert, who teaches energy economics at the Hurdy School of Governance in Berlin and heads the Energy, Transportation, and Environment Department at the German Institute for Economic Research. Kimfert, who is a high-level advisor to the European Commission, is known as one of Germany's top energy analysts. We talked about Germany's choices on nuclear and gas, the situation it faces this coming winter, and the policies that could help it recover and get back on track to hit its emissions goals. All right, then, uh, with no further ado, Professor Claudia Kempfert, welcome to Volts. Thanks so much for coming. Thank you very much for having me. You know, in my experience, um, Germany plays a kind of symbolic role among, among people in the U.S. who think about energy. Germany sort of has this kind of mythic role, and I want to dig in a little bit and find out how that kind of mythos differs from the actual facts so we can get a better sense of sort of where Germany stands and what its current situation is. But first, I want to back up and sort of present to you what I think is the conventional wisdom in the U.S. about Germany and energy. And then we can talk about what that conventional wisdom gets right and wrong. Mm -hmm. So in the U.S., I would say the sort of conventional wisdom about Germany's energy venda, the energy transition, is that it's sort of well-meaning, but it has made a series of fateful mistakes. The first is the original decision to phase out nuclear power before coal. The second is delaying and delaying and watering down the coal phase-out itself. And then the third would be more recently sort of having decided to phase out nuclear, at least stop expanding coal, that is implicitly a decision to rely on gas, but instead of Germany and sort of Europe developing its own gas resources, it made the decision to basically become dependent on Russia for gas. And now it's paying the price for this series of mistakes. So let's start with at the beginning. Let's start with the history. Let me just ask you sort of straight out. Do you think it was a mistake for Germany to decide to phase out nuclear power first as a part of the energy venda? 
I would say yes, but I would like to explain it a little bit more because in order to bring it into context, uh, because Germany has started uh, the energy transition over 20 years ago, not only by deciding to do the nuclear phase out, but also to increase the share of renewables drastically. That has been initiated by a special promotion system for renewables. That was really important to increase the share of uh, renewables over a time of 10 to 15 years, uh, from almost zero to now 50% of electricity production. That was a good thing. On the other hand, um, what's about the rest of the energy production? And there, indeed, um, there has been a decision to phase out nuclear by now, by 2022, by 2023. And um, the mistake that has been made is to phase out nuclear before coal. Mm. Because with this, there has been a quite high share of coal over the time and uh, increasing emissions and then pay very high price also to phase out coal and also to discussions and have a coal committee that has done debates about how to phase out coal and how to do it and not lead it over market signals, like, for example, a CO2 price. Mm. And um, that was a mistake also from uh, the point of view of carbon emissions. And because um, it would have been much better to run nuclear over the time and um, decrease the share of coal drastically and to bring the coal phase out first or to make the coal phase out first and to the first point, I would I would agree on that. However, my focus was not to tell the story in that way, um, not only to talk about nuclear and coal, because there's a broader picture and there's a there's a larger story to tell, and that is the energy transition itself, which is based on renewable energy. And that that is, a, I would say, a fourth mistake you, that wasn't in your list, <laughs> that uh, there has been a steep increase of renewables over the time, also by first promoting and then delaying the increase of share of renewables with the argument of we need some kind of bridge technologies, whatever that means, and also delaying the energy transition towards the full supply of renewables over that time. And that was, I think, the first and most important mistake we did, and we pay now a very high price for it. Is there a simple explanation for why it proved politically easier to phase out nuclear than to phase out coal? Because it seems like the decision to phase out nuclear has held up, at least in German public opinion, pretty well, even under a lot of criticism. But it, it seems to be having incredible difficulty phasing out coal. Is it, mm. What's the political explanation there? Yeah, I think the political explanation came from the fact that there has been a lot of criticisms against nuclear since 50 years in Germany. So mm. there's, uh, since Chernobyl accident in the in the Ukraine, the terrible nuclear accident which happened in the 80s uh, was in the, the starting point for this uh, for the skepticism and fear against nuclear power and a lot of criticism against nuclear power, which brought the German decision to phase out nuclear as fast as possible. And the Green Party has been established from this fact. Mm. And that was also the reason why, uh, why of course, the nuclear was always in the public debate. And there has been a lot of demonstrations, there has been a lot of protests against uh, against nuclear power, and that is in the German DNA, I would say. Mm. But coal, on the other hand, has a strong connection to the history of Germany coming from the Second World War. 
and uh, increasing the share of coal. There was first also in Northern Westphalia, the coal mining was very strong and the cultural identity related to this. So the coal workers had a really strong connection not only to the allies of working unions and uh, labor unions and also to the politics itself, to the social democrats. And that was also the reason why, of course, coal was never that heavily debated and never protested against in the long history. <laughs> that was also, to my opinion, wrong. I mean, from the climate uh, perspective and the climate protection point of view, we would have needed to reduce the coal much faster than we did. But there has been a, a strong connection, I would say. And that was not within the nuclear. That was not related to nuclear. Is that sort of deep cultural connection to coal, does that still characterize the coal debate? I mean, is that, st is that why it's still difficult to this day to get going faster on the coal phase out? Yes, a little bit, I would say. But um, it has become uh, even important, yes, but not that important that uh, it has been in the past because we had 20 years of not having a debate about coal, actually, mm. because um, never debated about it. I always try to bring into the public debate, why do we talk about nuclear that badly and not about coal? Because from <laughs> the climate perspective, coal is much worse, uh, much worse than the nuclear. But right now, I think uh, both is uh, the time is over. And in the public debate, both the time for, for coal and nuclear is over. So we will not get back to coal and not go back to, to nuclear at any point in time. So I think that's that debate is almost over, I would say. And in terms of Germany sort of hooking up with Russia and kind of becoming dependent on Russian gas, do you agree that that was a big mistake? And I guess, what were the alternative paths <laughs> that, that Germany could mm. have taken? Well, that was a huge mistake. And I always said that in the public over the 15 years from now, I was some of the lonely voices in the public <laughs> all the time. And I had to hear a lot of <laughs> a lot of criticism all the time. And why I'm saying this in Russia is a reliant supplier and we love Russia. And this is all the debate mm. about it. That was a huge mistake, not only because of the um, energy dependency we had over that time and also the I mean, the mess we are into not right now, it has been foreseeable because if we really look at the last 15 years, we saw that Russia was never that country and also um, a really serious business partner. They said they would be, they, uh, there has been always a lot of indicators why it's, it's a mistake and a lot of warnings, not only from the US, but also from Eastern European countries and others warned us all the time that's not a good strategy to construct in a pipeline, North Stream 1, but also another pipeline, North Stream 2. And all the time, we also did a lot of studies and showing that this is the wrong direction. Uh, yes, I guess for a time of 15 years, but we could guess also from other countries, a little bit from Russia, but not that large extent, because we need to diversify imports in order to be less dependent on one supplier and also to get the energy transition done. I mean, we need to increase the share of renewables, but we never talk about it. Even now, <laughs> we should talk about uh, it more. But uh, Russia, the strong tendency, also the strong reliability and also the strong connection to Russia, that was really a problem. Uh, we are now paying a very high price for it. Speaking of that 
high price. <laughs> Let's talk about um, kind of where Germany finds itself now. So first of all, there's been just a lot of talk about sort of the coming winter because Russia has basically cut off gas flow now and Germany's scrambling. How worried are you about this coming year? Do you think there's going to be, I mean, I've heard, I've actually heard recently that maybe the gas shortage in Germany and Europe is not going to be as severe as predicted. So how worried are you about the short term? Do you think Germany is going to be facing power cutoffs? Are there going to be people freezing in their homes? How worried are you about the coming winter and the coming year? Well, right now, I'm not that worried that, especially not that uh, there will be power cutoffs or people freezing in their homes because we did uh, a lot of homework in the last month and uh, luckily <laughs> the, the, the German government did some things good and some bad. But the good things are that they uh, really diversified the gas import. So we are now, Germany is importing more gas from other nations, not only from Norway, the Netherlands, but also via liquefied natural gas, via the existing capacities that exist also in Europe, but also in the after December and January, we will have in Germany our own LNG terminal capacity, so we can uh, or will use it as well. So the diversification of gas imports is doing quite well. And the gas storage, the second most important thing, is quite full. Mm -hmm. Right now, the gas storage is um, approximately 95% filled. That's very good because um, over the summertime, it has been filled. And that's the second very important thing. The third thing is a gas saving. So we are quite good in that right now. It seems like that. Um, if the winter is quite mild, we don't know it yet. But if it's quite mild, we will come through it uh, without any power shortages and um freezing and all this, uh, if it's becoming very strong, if the temperatures are very low, uh, we will see whether we can make it uh, without any power shortages. I'm quite optimistic that we can do it because if we are able to save more gas and reduce the gas demand by 20% or even more, then we are on the safe side. If not, if the people are not saving enough, but the prices are very high. I mean, they have to save a lot, especially low-income households. Mm -hmm. uh, but if the others are not saving enough and the industry is also reducing their demand, they have to because the prices are too high. We will see uh, how, uh, at which number we end at the end of the winter. So mm -hmm. what we really need is a gas saving, a gas demand reduction over 20%. That is a number we really have to reach. And the fourth thing is that we really have to do more to get rid of fossil fuels itself and to insulate the buildings more and also to help the people do more to install alternatives to gas heating systems and um, insulate their houses, uh, renovate it and do more for energy saving for the longer, for the mid and longer term. So we initially plan to do that. This is why I talk all the time about the delayed energy transition. That was part of it, to uh, insulate the buildings better in the last 15 years. And it has been delayed. There's not been enough support. There's always been the myth uh, that we have cheap gas forever right. and the people can use cheap gas in their homes. And that was the PR campaigns. The people were believing it. And that's really a mess we are now into it. <laughs> and this really brings me up because um, I always warned that this could happen. It's a really bad thing. 
that happened. And now the people, and especially low-income households, have to pay the price. And that's really bad. And uh, now we have to make a U-turn now. Uh, so to really get rid of this and, and uh, do more in order to save gas, yes, and also to help people to install other heating systems as soon as possible and to get out gas heating systems out as soon as possible. And this is the thing Germany has to do right now. And this will be a huge task to do. Um, that's really, it will be really a hard, hard time now for the next years in order to bring all this through. Right. Well, I was going to ask about, you know, sort of Germany is responding to this. Um, I guess Russia kind of made the decision for Germany <laughs> to, <Yeah>. cut off, <laughs> True. to cut off uh, gas supplies. So Germany has now been forced to deal with this uh, mm. situation that it was delaying before. So, you know, the, as you say, there's been some mix of diversifying gas supply, building these floating LNG terminals so you can import more natural gas. And then there's, you know, accelerating the energy transition, some of that, and then some of trying to reduce demand. Do you think that the German government is getting the balance of those things right? Like, what would you like to see more or less of? And in particular, you know, because this is a concern that the U.S. faces too, it seems to make sense to build more sort of gas import capacity at the moment, right, facing this shortage. But then you have that capacity built, and that capacity lasts a long time. These mm. are like, you know, 30, 40, 50 year investments. So I'm just wondering, like, in terms of the way Germany is, is responding to this sudden gas shortage, do you think it's getting the balance right? Or what would you like to see more or less of? There is a right balance, especially about the diversification right now in the short term of gas supply. That the short term is really important here. Um, is is quite good right now, and filling the gas storage is also good. And also to look at alternatives is is fine. But you are completely right. I mean, we are now constructing fossil fuel infrastructures for the next thirty to forty years, which are not compatible to the Paris Climate Agreement. And that means that the emissions need to go down. And um, that contradicts the goals of installing new fossil infrastructure because um, if we do that, I mean, and import for the next 30 to 40 years fossil natural gas, um, also from the U.S. and from other countries, it would bring the emissions up again. So we are mm. on the next uh, wrong fossil uh, emission path. And that's uh, that's where we wanted to get away from it. And this is why it's, it's wrong. This is not the right balance uh, that we are doing. So we recommend to use this floating terminals, LNG terminals for the next years, three to four years or five years, and then move away and um, faster and foster the energy transitions increase the share of renewables faster, uh, even faster, much faster than now, and to do more to bring the demand down. And that is especially for the heating systems to um, do more for insulations and also for the industry, because the industry right now uh, uses uh, a third of the gas demand or applies mm. this. And this is why they also have to shift away from this and use more renewables and industry heat pumps or uh, other alternatives, I mean, technologies that do not use fossil fossil energy. 
And that's a crucial task here to help all the economy to move away from fossil fuels. Otherwise, we would not be in line with the Paris agreements, the climate goals. Do you think that building these terminals and building this capacity to import more gas is going to make it more difficult, more politically difficult? Because, you know, that's the worry in the U.S. Mm. Once you've built these things, then they kind of justify themselves. You know, then it becomes that much harder, becomes that much harder to shift. Do you think the short-term response is making the long-term shift more difficult? Yeah, clearly, yes. Because Mm -hmm. uh, we see, I mean, we should have learned it better because we see with the pipelines, where we are in. I mean, yeah. that are the pipeline investments are investments for 40 to 50 years. Mm. I mean, and um, Russia knew it better than Germany what they <laughs> what they can make out of it. And of course, LNG terminals uh, are a different story because we have it more in our hand from where to import and um, deconstruct it and also use it for green hydrogen or green gases or whatever. So there's more flexibility in it, but you're completely right. In constructing these pipelines um, brings us into the new fossil path dependencies. And uh, politically, it's clearly harder uh, if these investments are there and companies have invested and they want to get paid and they want to get some compensation, financial compensation, if they have to shut it down. We know it from the coal phase out. We know it from the nuclear phase out. We all compensated them. And now we are compensating the Nord Stream pipeline. So we are full of compensations and we now have to pay for the next compensation. So you hear a little bit my ironic tone here um, that I wanted to make is um, let's do it better and let's move away from it and move towards renewables and energy transition towards less fossil fuels and um it seems that Germany is not really learning enough and cannot really learn enough <laughs> from the past, but we should do better. Let me ask on that score um, about industry, because, you know, Germany um, is very proud of its heavy industry, proud of its its manufacturing and its, mm. and its facility. But right now, you know, industry is in a real tough situation with very high energy prices so kind of two questions on that. One is, you know, you say industry in particular needs to get off of gas and move towards more renewables. And I'm just wondering, in its current situation where it's sort of being battered by high energy prices, is industry in a position to be able to do that right now? And then I also just wonder, with such high energy prices facing industry, is Germany in danger right now of tipping into a recession, which would also seem to make the transition more difficult sort of mm-hmm. like what's what can industry do right now given the sort of high energy prices it is yeah. struggling with right you're completely right i mean the heavy industry is now uh, in a in a tough situation because they have to deal with this high fossil energy prices i want to strengthen that because um, they always complain that uh, the energy transition will bring them high energy prices. Right, but renewables, right. renewables, if they would have done an energy transition towards uh, energy saving, towards renewables, they would not have to pay these high prices. So the non-energy transition brings them in this tough situation. They have to face now very high fossil energy prices, high fossil gas prices and oil prices, but especially gas. And there was always a myth, I mean, always a dream that there will be a forever cheap gas prices. It's only cheap if Russia allows it to be cheap. Right. And, um, <laughs> 
the geostrategic um, dangers related to this have never been priced in. And that was uh, that was a big mistake, but also a dream. And they are now waking <laughs> up. Okay, uh, that, that was a nightmare. <laughs> they are now waking up and they have to do it much better. And they have to, of course, they have to now invest. But the German government is helping a lot with financial support. Our recommendations is now, as always, uh, not to spend the money again for fossil infrastructure, but to spend it for the energy transition and to spend it into green hydrogen, into industrial heat pumps and all this, and make uh, to help them to move away from fossil gas. If it can be done, I'm quite skeptical if I hear their voices right now, because they still believe that Russia is a reliant energy supplier, and they still say... <laughs> Uh, we have to stick to Russia. We have to stick to cheap gas prices. Let's move on with the second gas pipeline, Nord Stream 2. Open that, please, because then we are safe. So I'm not quite sure whether they really understood what the situation we are in right now, um, whether they are really facing it. If they have re a realistic view on it, I, of some, I, I really have my doubts. <laughs> on the other hand, uh, they learn, and a lot of companies do learn, they are facing a really tough situation. You are completely right. We are in the middle or we are in the beginning, let's say, that went of a recession and the German industry is suffering a lot and will suffer a lot, at least those who stick to and are relying on um, fossil energy prices. And uh, that is the largest majority. And those who have invested into renewables and to the energy transition, they have no problems at the moment. And this difficult is not, but uh, those who uh, have uh, to pay this high fossil energy prices, they have to do a lot and to move away. And the companies need to get financial support. And if they get some financial support, this should be really uh, stick to the condition that they have to invest into the energy transition. Otherwise, it would not make sense. Similarly, in terms of, you know, sort of whether to kind of double down on gas or whether to accelerate the transition, um, the German government, it sounds like, is about to implement a natural gas price cap and then a bunch of sort of subsidies, kind of consumer subsidies to offset these high prices. And, mm. you know, that makes sense in terms of, you know, um, people are out there struggling. <laughs> people yeah. are out there struggling with high gas prices and, you know, the threat of the uh, winter coming, you know, so you can see this sort of need for kind of an emergency response. But at the same time, those policies, you know, have the effect of blunting the high price of, of natural gas and sort mm. of blunting the incentive to shift away from it. So kind of where do you stand on those on those policies and kind of the German government's help that it's giving consumers? Do you think that's good policy? Well, um, no, I'm quite skeptical against this uh, gas price cap because I'm not a fan of gas price caps. I'm a fan of uh, gas costs uh, cap because uh, to bring the cost down, it means to bring also the demand down, uh, but also to help the people to pay their bills. Right. And um, that's I'm, I'm fine with that if, uh, if the government is spending money to support uh, companies heavily affected uh, with conditions to do it better, but also to help um, low-income households to uh, help paying their bills and um, getting rid of fossil natural gas and do everything they can do to support here. I'm a fan of that. I'm not a fan of gas price caps uh, because uh, that's uh, the danger, because the gas price increases are coming from the fact 
that we have scarcities, that we have gas scarcities, supply scarcities because of Russia, because uh, Russia is not delivering any gas uh, to Europe anymore. And uh, this brings the uh, gas price up. And uh, this is a reason, it comes with a reason, not with speculation or with gas power and also some speculation or uh, also companies who have market power and increase the prices and that should not happen but it happens with the market effect and this is why i think it's dangerous to uh, cap prices and to support the demand because we really get as i said already to get the demand down and this can only work if uh, we are not subsidizing the price mm -hmm. uh, but uh, subsidizing financial support to help the people to pay their bills And um, we should subsidizing the gas saving and to give people money to get their gas demand down. So they might get a premium if they save gas or companies as well. With an auctioning system, we could do it. And to ask, uh, where could you save gas? And if you do that, you get money. Uh, that, that would be the right solution. And I've heard from the gas committee, there has been a commission. They have uh, recently published a report showing, okay, we want to do everything. We recommend that the, the gas supplier uh, should not um, get money, but the gas demand mm. needs to get down. Uh, so they, they have understood that this is really a problem. I also support that, and I recommend also not to subsidize indirectly the demand because it brings more difficulties to the market than solutions. Speaking of uh, of this sort of argument over gas, you know, this is I've noticed this in U.S. energy debates. Mm. No matter what happens, everybody seems to believe that it proves they were right all along. <laughs> so <laughs> that's always the case. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so gas, you know, your gas defenders, kind of gas uh, enthusiasts, will point at the current situation in Germany and say, "Look, this proves that you know the mess we're having when gas gets cut off just proves." how much Germany needs gas, and it proves that Germany ought to, or that Germany and Europe ought to start fracking and ought to start developing their own gas and ought to, uh, you know, open up more channels to import. You probably think that's wrong. So one, yeah. of the, one of the arguments for gas, one of the big arguments for gas is that renewable energy is variable, comes and goes with the weather. You need something to balance it, some sort of firm resource that you can turn on and off at will to balance the fluctuations in renewable energy. This is sort of the main role gas is playing now and the main argument for gas. So my question is, if you know we do what you recommend and, sort of, and phase out gas, if Germany phases out gas, does Germany have other resources to play that balancing role, that sort of firm balancing role to, mm -hmm. to you know, compensate for renewables. What else, what else does it have that could play that role? Yeah. So we did uh, studies on a 100% renewable energy system, not only we, but also many other, other researchers in the world as well, in showing how a system will look like if you have more renewables in the system. And it's always a combination of different components. It's um, solar, wind, hydro, biomass and geothermal mm. um, that needs to be that needs to be combined so renewables are team player we need all of them and we need plenty of them 
and all over the country, not only in Germany, but all over Europe, but also all over US. And that would be the first thing. And the other thing, you're right, I mean, renewables are variable, have varieties. And so if the sun is not shining and the wind is not blowing, what do we do? So on mm -hmm. the first time, we have the others. We have the other components, which I just mentioned. On the other hand, what we need is also storage, uh, more storage. That is, uh, that could be batteries. That um, could be also green hydrogen, uh, so hydrogen that is produced by renewables. That could also be pumped hydro storage and, and uh, flexibility options. That means demand-side management. So flexibility is key. Digitalization is key. And the future system of a full supply of renewables looks much different than the conventional system. So it's uh, more flexible. You need more renewables. You need more flexibility. You need digitalization. You need a load management system. And you need uh, storage. And all this needs to be initiated now. <laughs> and with a fossil natural gas story, narrative yeah, that has been good for the last 15 years, but it's not good now. Uh, because if we need to reduce emissions slowly, but uh, regularly, uh, so the emission path um, on the fossil energy needs to be reduced drastically right now because we are very late. And uh, this is not, this cannot be in line with natural gas in the future. So yes, right now we still have natural gas in the system, but the share needs to be declined. In the same time, All the options that I just mentioned, all the renewable parts of it, all the storage and what I just mentioned needs to be increased. And that's that's the crucial part of it, that we are losing time again if we tell the story and the narratives again and again that we need fossil fuels for some kind of bridge technology. Natural gas is not a bridge technology anymore. It has been 20 years ago, but not now. <laughs> we, we are too far with the emission increase and we are too far now with the energy transition path. And this is why it's so important to do much more and do it better in the past. And uh, that's why I know uh, all the debates also in the US and everywhere, the people talk about nuclear and natural gas and all this, but they should talk about renewables all the time. And this is what I miss. It's interesting. One option I didn't hear you mention in terms of uh, stabilizing a renewable heavy grid is transmission. And I mm -hmm. wonder, you know, this is um, in the U.S., this is becoming conventional wisdom that one, that we need lots more <laughs> long distance transmission than we have, mm -hmm. but two, that it's just very, very, very politically difficult, it turns out, to build it. There's a lot of ways to block it. So that's a that's a, a, a vexing problem in the U.S. right now. And I wonder... Oh, really? Why? It, it comes down to state authority. Basically, there's very little federal authority over it. So okay. it's a state problem. And so you get almost any landowner mm -hmm. or county or state can veto a long-distance transmission line. Oh, so it's just hard to build them. So I wonder what role you think... You know, I've heard that Germany needs more transmission from north to south. How big a role do you think transmission plays in the kind of renewable grid of the future? And is it as difficult to build in Germany as it is in the U.S.? I didn't mention it because it's not that big problem. From the problems I, I wanted to highlight, which are mm. really needed in order to bring this full transition of the energy system. And transmission is only one part of it. 
which does not have the highest priority. Yes, it's important, um, but it's not a bottleneck. Huh. Um, because in Germany, we have enough uh, transmission lines. And if we are phasing out nuclear and coal, we will have a lot of free capacity of transmission mm. lines we will use. And uh, what is even more uh, important than transmission lines from the north to the south is uh, decentralized, mm. intelligent grids, smart grids. That is heavily needed in Germany. We need smart meters. We need digitalization. We need... Um, we need uh, the, the decentralized system working. And this is why it's important because we will need in the future, we'll have much more electric mobility. Right. And we need the decentralized transmission grid. And the, the grid at the decentralized level is much more important to include all the individual electric mobility cars, electric cars, mm -hmm. and uh, all the, the storage, the flexibility options, uh, solar is decentralized, wind as well. We will not have this huge capacities you have in the U.S. where you have a lot of land and you can put the windmills there and put it in the south and the north and the west and the east. <laughs> so you have large, much more larger distances we have in Germany. Germany is quite small, we have a full grid, we have a transmission grid that can be applied. Yes, we need a little bit more, but that's not the first priority. Let's do it, of course. Yes, we can do it. But what is even more important is a decentralized transmission line, including the digitalization and including all the flexibility options we really need right now. You're setting me up uh, perfectly for my segue here because <laughs> one of, I've noticed um, you know, a lot of your research and and lectures and whatnot is about decentralized distributed right. energy. So let's let's talk about that a little bit. Germany, of course, pioneered solar. I think this is even among US people who are grumpy about <laughs> Germany's position on nuclear, <laughs> even those people acknowledge Germany was a pioneer in solar, rooftop solar, distributed. Yeah, we did one thing right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you did. You did that um, with the feed-in tariffs. And so, mm. and, and so it had a huge role in driving down the cost of distributed solar. But it sounds like the German government scrapped those feed-in tariffs for something else, which you don't think is working. So give us a sense of sort of where are we on rooftop solar in in germany what uh, how big of the penetration is it and what sort of policies are needed to kind of boost it yeah you're completely right i mean we started well um 20 years ago by promoting it and solar rooftop has been pioneered has been because we lost uh, over 100,000 jobs mm. and lost a lot of companies especially to china and that was a big mistake uh, because we need these jobs right now for the transformation and we could have been much faster if we would have not done it in that way. But uh, right now, uh, I mean, the share it has been slowed down, let's say it that way, because uh, we started from almost zero with the solar rooftop uh, decentralized energy transition to um, approximately 13% now of electricity production mm. um, in the system. And it has been increased uh, quite fast, but in the last years, the last 10 years slowed down massively. So we have changed the um, feed-in tariff system, moved away from a feed-in tariff system towards an auctioning system uh, with fixed amount uh, that has been auctioned. And this amount of solar auctions has been declined drastically. 
and that uh, brought bad conditions to the market and also with the fact that uh, that a lot of companies left and a lot of jobs are lost or moved away and um, now uh, we are we want to bring it back a little bit they want to they have now i mean we have new governments since last autumn and they uh, have changed uh, the circumstances they have changed the framework conditions they have uh, changed uh, or a little bit and improved it a little bit and moved away also the barriers that has been initiated in the last 10 years and it seems that there will be a steeper increase right now but we face a lack of manufacturers we uh, face a lack of companies we face a lack of jobs i mean uh, there are not enough jobs there are not enough people and uh, a lot of people now want to buy a solar system on their rooftops uh, but we don't have the solar uh, cells we don't have enough uh, solar systems we don't have enough workers uh, who could install it and um, right now also it's not financially so attractive but but now i mean now with a very high electricity prices coming from fossil fuels it's it's becoming more attractive and a lot of people want to do it right now but um, there's not enough supply and that's really the next big i mean problem we have right now and that's a big shame that we are in that situation right now. It's interesting, you know, the U.S. just passed a a bill, the Inflation Reduction Act, Mm -hmm. which, among other things, makes a really large concerted effort to bring the supply chain back to the U.S., you know, mining and processing and manufacturing and all of it. There's been a real effort to um, kind of onshore that whole process. Is Germany doing that? Is Germany interested in doing that? Do you think that Germany also needs to do that? Yeah. Bring bring more of the supply chain inside Germany? I definitely recommend to do so. Uh, not inside Germany, but also inside Europe, because mm. Europe is an open house. I right. mean, everybody could buy here everything. China is buying everything they could do. They are buying Habos. They, they are buying everything they could do. Uh, they are buying all the solar uh, everybody could buy everything, but uh, on the other hand, uh, the Germans are protected in the uh, in China, but also in the U.S. Now, if I hear that correctly, right. so but it's your right to do so. So I would recommend also uh, to do it in the same way in Europe and um, to bring back the supply chain. We had that here. That's really what which makes us a little bit angry i would say uh, i mean <laughs> because now because it's so i mean looking back and also commenting on this uh, on this whole situation since 15 years now i really face okay it could have been so much better <laughs> if we would if we would have done it in a way that you also initially recommending by by also starting to to phase out more coal in the in the very early beginning, but also to increase the share of renewables. But we had all the jobs. We had over one hundred eighty thousand jobs in the renewable sector, and lost over one hundred thousand. Uh, we are we are missing the companies right now. We are missing all the products. We have uh, supply chain difficulties and delivery problems with China. Um, so a huge list of problems <laughs> related to it and uh, it could have been so much better if uh, <laughs> if we would have done it not in that way and uh, this this really makes me mad well china very deliberately made its solar very 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 cheap i mean they sure. they, they did it right i mean they subsidized their producers you, you know up one side and down the other and mm-hmm. 
they pulled it off too. They basically pulled manufacturing, pulled the supply chain into China. Of course, uh, but uh, they, on the other hand, also protected their own market. And yeah. uh, we did not that in the same way. Of course, they are cheap. That's good. We will benefit from cheap system. But right now, with the, with the problems of delivery and uh, supply chain difficulties, we need to become more resilient. And we could right. have been a little bit more resilient if we would have protected our market as, in the same way. And that's, of course, we want to be a global market and we want mm -hmm. to have global systems. But on what we are facing right now, if that if we would benefit more, if we would have our own resilient system, not only right. in economic terms, but also in the energy um, supply terms. And this brings a lot of benefits and makes us less vulnerable from countries which are not only doing good with us. And that's Russia, that's China. And uh, we are... We are not uh, on, a, on a, we say in Germany, we are not on the pony, uh, on, on, a, on, a, on a farm where everybody is loving each other. So we are on a global market. <laughs> we have a special German word for it. So uh, we, we are not in a free world that everybody is loving each other. We are in a, in a market which really brings a lot of uh, tensions and uh, that needs to be faced at least. And we right. should prepare. And I, I understand that, uh, that the US is doing it and that way I would recommend uh, Germany and Europe to do it in the same way. Aside from rebooting the, the rooftop solar market or accelerating rooftop solar, what else do you think the German government should be doing to support specifically distributed, decentralized energy? What sorts of policies mm -hmm. would you like to see there that, you, that you're not seeing? Yeah, right now, of course, the market plays for itself because there are very high electricity prices. A lot of people, companies have uh, the right incentive to install um, solar roof top systems. Uh, and as I already said, we need the companies, we need the workers. There's really uh, a gap of workers right now in Germany. We uh, need to deal with that. We need some kind of um, schooling systems and mm. uh, helping helping to um, get the workers skilled to, to do that. And uh, on the other hand, also to have the companies here in Germany, in Europe, and to produce the solar systems and uh, bring that on the on the rooftop. A lot of barriers have been removed already by the current government. That's good to have not so many uh, regulation difficulties. That was heavily overregulated um, mm. in Germany. If you want to install a solar system on your roof, you, you have to do a year of regulation and fill in out forms and all this. <laughs> this really makes you mad. And this has been much more improved right now by the current government. And uh, I would say they are on the right track, but right now the bottleneck is really the workers, is the companies and the um, solar material itself and, um, and the supply chain, which is really brings us a lot of trouble. And uh, this needs to be improved. And on the nuclear front, I've read now that the German government is considering or is going to keep some of the plants that haven't been closed yet open. Is that, mm -hmm. I, I wonder what the sort of political valence of that is. Is, is public opinion going to support the idea of keeping nuclear open as a kind of like, you know, I guess emergency response, you'd call it mm. at this point. Is that going to happen? Yeah, it seems like that, that the public opinion is very positive about it. It's not that, uh, it's not, the reason is not because in Germany we have as uh, electricity supply as scarcity because we have enough electricity also from renewables uh, we still have coal, I mean, for the next one or two years. 
we have to replace more gas by coal because the gas is used primarily not only for the electricity production, but for combined power systems. And that means also the heating system is based on on natural gas. And here we need more coal for it. But uh, nuclear is used now and needs to be applied at least for for several months uh, because France has a nuclear problem. France um, has, has a nuclear problem and uh, half of their power plants are not in place at the moment. On the one hand, because they are old and needs to be maintained, and there has to be, I mean, more maintenance on it. But on the other hand, also because of uh, weather conditions in the summer, and not enough cooling water has been there. And it's now been improved a little bit, but of course, um, only a quarter of, of, of this half of the power plants will be in place by winter. And this is a crucial part of it. Because in Germany, we are now exporting a lot um, electricity to France. Mm. Uh, we are a ex- net exporter and help. I mean, that's good that we're doing it because we are all in Europe. Right. And we are uh, in Germany need also the a helping hand of the neighbors uh, related to gas. And France is helping here as well. Uh, but on the other hand, um, this is some kind uh, of emergency plan because uh, we need to get enough electricity also over winter time, and um, and this is why the nuclear plants are now not shut down by the end of the year, but uh, shut down by April latest. And I think um, the public opinion is quite seems to be quite uh, optimistic. I do not support it personally because I don't think uh, that's the right solution. I would have seen much more a faster increase of uh, renewables and a faster debate about uh, how to get rid of uh, more gas. Uh, but uh, on the other hand, it does not help us uh, a lot. It creates a lot of political costs. It creates a lot of uh, difficulties. The power plants are not maintained since 13 years now. Mm. Um, uh, the nuclear We have a nuclear phase-out law which needs to be changed. So a lot of costs. I don't see that really that the um, the benefits out of it are so high that they that these costs are really justified. So you think keeping the nuclear plants open basically is more trouble than it's worth? Yeah, I think it's more trouble than it's worth. And um, we have enough trouble and uh, we should not have another trouble. But it's politically <laughs> driven. If we would really uh, are talking about a serious energy crisis we are in, we would even heavily debate about the alternatives we just discussed about, about renewables, about energy saving options, about all this. We are not talking about it in the public. We are just to talk about nuclear. We are just talking about fracking. We are talking about mm. energy, but we never talk about long or mid or long term solutions, how to increase the share of renewables. And this is what I really miss. Speaking of how the short term crisis seems to be blocking out discussion of the long term. Mm. How does this all complicate the coal phase-out? Because, you know, uh, as you say, the coal phase-out should have happened (laughs) a long time ago, should happen now, should be accelerated. But at the same time, coal is playing a bigger role in Germany in the short term, compensating for this lost gas. So do you think this short-term crisis is also going to complicate the coal phase-out? Yeah, it will complicate the coal phase-out from the political debate again, as we do see it with the nuclear debate, uh, because um, we can do it with the coal phase-out. Our modeling studies uh, show it, uh, that we can do the coal phase-out by 2030. 
even without uh, gas from Russia, even without nuclear, if we would increase the share of renewables uh, drastically. That's very fast. Yeah. That's very fast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. But, uh, I mean, it could have been much faster if we would have not slowed down the increased share of renewables, mm. if we would really be that fundamentally energy transition driven as the U.S. seems us to, we are doing, we are not. Uh, but, um, <laughs> that's that's a myth, uh, but uh, of course we need to do better. Uh, but uh, we could have done it much faster. But by by twenty thirty, it's feasible. However, again, uh, we need to do much more in order to um, get rid of natural gas, to faster insulate the buildings, uh, to uh, help the industry to uh, move away from fossil fuels, and also to move away from coal. Um, but not into gas, but more into industrial heat pumps, into renewables, into energy saving. That's feasible, green hydrogen, all this, but we mm -hmm. need to do the investments right now. And um, it's feasible, So, but uh, I would agree uh, the, the, it complicates the debate about nuclear phase-out again. But um, from the technical point of view, it would be feasible to do it fast. Right. So you have good modeling that shows that yeah. Germany could phase out coal and nuclear and have a secure, reliable grid still. Yeah. Uh, if we are doing those components, I already explained, it's uh, decentralized smart grids, it's digitalization, it's flexibility options, more, uh, more solar, more wind, more hydro, more geothermal, more bio sustainable biomass. Do all this, it's feasible. Mm -hmm. We can do that. In, in several years, we could increase the share uh, with the speed we did 20 years ago, start with 20 years ago. We could do it in the same speed up because of this fossil energy war. We are into it. We should have learned how <laughs> to do it better, and hopefully, we will, we will learn it. You know, when you step back and look at the big picture, you would think that you couldn't have a clearer sort of object lesson. Mm -hmm. in the dangers of being <laughs> dependent on fossil fuels like this right. whole the whole world situation right now but especially the Russia Ukraine situation just seems to be screaming out that lesson and it's a little crazy that that's not what seems to be being heard in a lot of uh quarters yeah well the, <laughs> i completely agree but uh, germany at that point of decision making is really crazy because uh, they <laughs> they they seems not to learn Germany seems not to learn out of this, and they still—I mean—they are still in some kind of dream. <laughs> although we have, we would have needed to be wake up in the night. <laughs> well, um, I've kept you for a long time, so just as a kind of final question: Are there policy turning points coming up in Germany? Sort of, what's the next big policy turning point? What's the next big um, fight where you'd like to see things shift? Are there are there bills in the works or policies in the works? Well, I mean, um, of course, uh, the the government is doing a lot now. They have uh, moved really or brought into uh, into the government system a lot. A, a new bills on increasing the share of renewables into helping now the uh, households and also the companies with a with some kind of gas cost break, however mm. you will call it, and to financially support um, companies also to to move away or to get their their bills paid. I think that's really important. Uh, on the other hand, uh, what I'm really missing is a, a really a turning point 
towards more full transition into um, a full supply of renewables and uh, more energy saving. That's really missing. And I, hopefully uh, we will see a, a little bit more when we are moving more in, in time uh, and the fossil energy war is hopefully at a certain point in time over, mm. or at least we are in a, in, a, in, a, in a phase where we can not only have to deal with emergency right. uh, situations, but uh, in, a, in a clear way in, in moving away from fossil fuels. It should be the learning that should come out of this. Uh, however, we see the debates about nuclear fracking, LNG, and all this that um, of, obviously we we rely very much on, on the past, but hopefully we will also move to the future. And this new German government you think is is open to that? Is yeah. Is c- capable of that? Yeah, well, they are open. I mean, capable, they are all now. I mean, I, I could imagine how how much work they have right now in this right. emergency phase. And they are sleepless and uh, doing whatever <laughs> they can do in order to get out of this. And every day they have to do, to move, to bring in a new bill and, and to, <laughs> to uh, decide of how to uh, get a diversification of imports and construct LNG terminals and where to get the gas from, and how to compensate companies, how to compensate the households. So they're really busy and and sleepless with all the emergency they have to deal with it. But on the other hand, I hope there will be a a time that is much calmer, and um, we can decide on really future decisions, which helps us not to bring us in such a situation again. It would be really helpful. Right. Well, thank you so much. This is all very illuminating, very interesting. Uh, Thanks for coming on and and taking the time. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the Volts podcast. It is ad-free, powered entirely by listeners like you. If you value conversations like this, please consider becoming a paid Volts subscriber at volts.wtf. Yes, that's Volts. WTF so that I can continue doing this work. Thank you so much, and I'll see you next time. <laughs>